be, there is someone else. So if these fans believe in me, and they do, and they should, and these fans believe I deserve a shot, well then, brother, I'm going to take it. My name is Dan Welling and we're going back in the time machine to April 2002, what some people are calling, i.e. me, the darkest month in the history of the WWF. Of course, when I volunteered myself to host this month's proceedings, I knew something was going to happen to me to make me want to regret my decision, but didn't expect this. And because of this month's events, I think my two guests are probably the perfect two to dissect the comings and goings and decisions that have been made regarding certain booking of new champions. First of all, the yin to my yang and our actual resident Hulkamaniac, Devinder Vargas. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Uh, thanks a lot for having me. It's going to be fun to talk about uh, the recent happenings in the WWF. Um, I, I would say, yeah, I, I was a I was a very, very strong Hulkamaniac. So it's going to be fun to, to talk about this. And a man steeped in the history of WCW, and that's actually becoming more precedent by the day, given what's going on at the minute. Pete Kimber. Pete, how are you? I'm very well, Dan. Thank you very much. Yes, it feels like a little bit of Groundhog Day with uh, the red and yellow back on top. So, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting uh, show. Looking forward to it. Glad to have you two on board for this event for month, definitely. Just a couple of news items outside of normal WWF programming that I wanted to touch on. First of all, that we will obviously be touching on the NWO's continued slide into irrelevance. But if it was up to Vince McMahon, one of their newest recruits would have been Shawn Michaels, who he was desperate to try and recruit into the NWO to give him a little bit of a boost. However, this was vetoed almost completely by almost every single wrestler 
in the backstage area, including Triple H, you know, Sean's former best friend. So again, shows you where the former golden boy of the WWF's position in the company currently stands. We also have a potential resurrection of the NWA, where Jeff Jarrett, yes, J-O-O-N, gone, has been recruiting a lot of former wrestlers to start up a new promotion. And he has secured the naming rights to one of the most historic wrestling promotions in the whole history of the world. So look out for the NWA revival, um, hopefully in the summer this year, which will be interesting to see. And also on Injury Watch, we will obviously be discussing this throughout the show, but we also have seen injuries to big superstars such as Kevin Nash, lol, Kane, who was written out of the midweek storyline after having an injury to his arm, and most seriousest of all, Lita, who unfortunately suffered a broken neck whilst on a filming of a te- recent television series. So she'll be out for an entire year. And with that, I thought we'd start off by looking at the new era of WWF television. Last month, we ran the rule over the initial roster splits on Raw and SmackDown. And it's now time to look at how that is translating into WWF weekly programming. So our first episode of Raw on the 1st of April gets an opening promo from Ric Flair, who shows us the brand new undisputed title. And we also jump into whole new theme music, which we would have heard at the start of the show. Uh, Quickly, gents, any any thoughts on the new belts where they had to get rid of those two belts, I think, just for ease of access for the champion. But any thoughts on the on the new belt and the new design? I think it bears some resemblance to the winged eagle a little bit. I know it's not quite quite the same, but yeah, so so I wouldn't say it was anything special. Um, I much prefer the WCW world title anyway to the WWE F1, but yeah, decent enough. Good good to have one rather than having two, and obviously that means a champion can go in between both Royal SmackDown, that seems to be the, the rule of thumb, doesn't it? So that's, that's, a, that's a good sign. But yeah, they have to do something with it, but it was not too bad. Yeah, the, the winged eagle is top tier for me. It's a part of my childhood, and I holds a special place in my heart. This new, by, by design, the new belt isn't really my cup of tea, but I understand that it's, uh, I understand it's just easier traveling for the champion uh instead of you know having two huge belts um but i understand that they're moving on into a new era and it's a representation of it yeah my initial thoughts are could be a little bit more colorful the winged eagle had that very interesting design and then the attitude era belt that has been the the beautiful blue globe in the middle of it which brought some very good color to it not quite sure this has anything too striking that you could immediately pinpoint as that is the new era's belt. But again, it's only been on TV for four weeks. I'm, I'm sure we'll get used to it eventually. Moving into the first divorce episode and the big running theme throughout the night will be which brands will Stone Cold Steve Austin sign for? He was left undrafted at the beginning of the month after his two week sabbatical, which was a little bit extended, shall we say, on his part rather than what the company wanted. But that will be his decision coming forward throughout the night. Our opening match is RVD versus Booker T in a good little six-minute TV match. And we and we see the return of a certain Eddie Guerrero, who we haven't seen in over a year. 
and we'll see how his ring rust carries over into the match on the pay-per-view. We then get Spike Dudley versus William Regal. After Regal points at him on his usual sore-looking offense, he can't find the brass knucks, and Spike connects with the Dudley Dog to beat the European champion in a non-title match, whatever that is worth nowadays. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley also becomes the new hardcore champion after beating Raven. Um, and at least after all the bitching and moaning we had last month about having all of the hardcore division on Raw with the hardcore title on SmackDown, we've now corrected that bit of a, of a mishap. The Undertaker comes out and we're still calling him Booger Red, whatever that means. It's definitely not the dead man as a nickname, is it? And we still have some build towards Triple H and The Undertaker, even though, as we know, that is no longer going to happen. We then have Brock Lesnar coming out again and looking at even more dominant as ever with his modified TKO and followed by three straight powerbombs on Jeff Hardy, which sets up his match for the pay-per-view in two weeks' time. Molly Holly is then repackaged away from Mighty Molly as this straight-laced good wrestling virginal character as she hits Trish Stratus in the face with a paddle which gets an audible moan from the crowd which unfortunately you know followed a paddle on a pole match involving Terry Reynolds and Trish Stratus where the hell is Vince Russo we then have uh, the NWO's continued slide into oblivion as Kane and Bradshaw defeat the NWO consisting of Scott Hall and X-Pac Kevin Nash is then suspended for two whole months without pay, a.k.a. he has a bicep injury after one match on Raw last month. In our final segment of the month, we get Stone Cold Steve Austin debating with Vincent Mann and Ric Flair on which age he's signed for. And although he's be- he looks to be beginning to sign for SmackDown, April Fools, he stuns Vincent Mann and signs on Raw. Uh, Austin is now an official Raw superstar and thank God, in my opinion, because they clearly needed some babyface top tier talent without The Rock, Kurt Angle and Triple H all on SmackDown, as well as potentially Hollywood Hulk Hogan as well. The one man who should go to backlash and face Triple H for the WWF Championship, The Rock is talking about Hulk Hogan. Wow, Hogan. A tremendous show of respect by The Rock to, to Hulk Hogan. You see, Vince McMahon, if you're listening, Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, if you're listening, the most electrifying fans have spoken on the most electrifying show on television. And as you say, Vince McMahon, the money talks. And so we come to the first major talking point of the month. Vince McMahon says he will not give in to peer pressure and that he knows the fans better than that they actually do. And for that reason, he will name Hollywood Hulk Hogan as the new number one contender for the WWF title. As Triple H comes out to accept this challenge, here comes Hulk Hogan with the feather boa, voodoo child and the red and yellow. Now, as far as Hogan goes...
Triple H can't keep the smile off his face. And Hogan says, if the fans believe in him and he deserves a shot, he's going to take it. Triple H says it'll be an honour to be in the ring with the Hulkster, but at the end of the day, he's just an obstacle in his way. So, Davinda, we'll come to you first. What did you make of the return of the red and yellow and the continuing wave of nostalgia sweeping over this company? I was five years old again. It was awesome to see the red and yellow. It's it's I I just feel as an adult now, you know, taking the fan perspective out of it, I just feel like it's good business, you know, with the reaction that he got at WrestleMania. Um, I'm sure Vince was like, okay, we gotta do this. We gotta strike while the iron's hot. Go find your trunks, go find your red and yellow stuff at home, and let's make some money because the reactions that he's getting, the reaction after WrestleMania, the re- and 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 everyone after that is just indicative of of the fact that we got to do something with this and um and take advantage of the situation this is why you've got me and uh Devinda here haven't you so because basically dan i think this is the right decision much as it might go you and pain you but after wrestlemania they had no option with the uh, the nostalgia and the way that went and obviously Rock played his part and has now played his part again in basically giving Hogan the um, the, the rub reel, isn't he? Even though he beat him, he's basically said it's almost weird, isn't it? It's like a, he's the youngster, Rock's the elder statesman reversal of you know many, many years ago and I think Vince has had to sort of look at the crowd reaction, look at let down, I say it, the merchandise, look at the, the ratings, look at the success of, of of Hogan and give him a second chance, third, fourth, fifth, whatever chance this guy needs because he comes out and he'll get a reaction. He'll get bums on seats. He'll get eyes on the product. It's Hulk Hogan, isn't it? And, OK, we've been through quite a journey with Hulk over the last few years, good and bad, mainly bad and different. I think at least that match in WrestleMania, based on the reaction was just, you know, out of this world and they've had to make a decision, I think. And I think it's the right one based on on what's happened and, and the reaction and the fact that he probably still can deliver a match and something on a on a big scale. And against someone like Triple H who's able to probably do a similar hopefully match that The Rock did. So yeah, I think it was a it was a thumbs up and yeah, nineteen nineties uh, Pete was uh, was back in town again. Yeah. Happy days. So as someone who never watched Hulkamania at their peak, I got into wrestling in 1996 and fully embraced it in 1997. I have no nostalgia for Hulk Hogan. All I have to go on with the red and yellow is that really short term weird run in the mid 1999 in WCW. And I said at that time, nostalgia is all good for three or four weeks when everyone's like, in as Davinda and maybe you Pete as well are in child mode and cannot get enough of your hero but it doesn't work in the long term so I agree with both of you when you say this was the right decision in the short term but as we'll get on to I have huge question marks over the decision they made to keep the nostalgia bubble growing and growing and let it ride out like they did but maybe part of the reason why they chose to put Hulk Hogan in this position is the second point of contention 
on rising from the first episode of SmackDown is that in the main event, The Rock defeats Chris Jericho after some interference by Kurt Angle and Edge after he pays him back for some interference earlier in the night. However, this was the only time that we saw The Rock on television this whole month as The Rock was busy promoting and doing some movie success off of The Scorpion King that he was filming at the back end of most of the spring and summer of uh, 2001. Which basically meant that The Rock is becoming more and more involved in the celebrity world of acting. Now, this has obviously got some positive and negative impacts for both The Rock and the WWF. On the positive side, The Rock's success is validating the WWF is having legitimately talented actors with megastar potential in the way that they've not really seen, you know, even with Hulk Hogan, all of those awful early 90s films as Hulk Hogan trying to be an actor and really failing. And The Rock is the first person that can legitimately cross over into, into Hollywood, which would be huge for this company. But on the downside, McMahon is losing another full-time performer as a top attraction. He's The Rock has been a part-timer for the, for the Fed for the last year with filming and publicity. And realistically, if The Rock's going to be away for now for another two months, you can't build long-term storytelling around this guy who was on top of the world last month and produced a masterclass against Hulk Hogan. You cannot easily insert someone to replace that role. The Rock has basically went onto television and basically said, I want to try and balance both, which is a really admirable thing to say. But ultimately, if you're a guy like The Rock and you've got to an opportunity to earn mega bucks as an action star, decent films, which without having to take the huge amount of bumps and staying in in-ring shape and you know shaving months and years off your career, busting your ass week in and week out, you're probably going to take that really surely. So my question to you, Pete, for starters, is how you envisage part-time rock you know fitting into an exclusive brand contract and and what this means generally for the wwf star power i think it's going to affect it greatly and obviously the rock at number one draft pick he's he, he's the man isn't he he's he's without having the title around his waist he is the, the number one guy they've got but you kind of wonder the effect that the fans may have you know not being able to to have him around so much and maybe a bit more fleeting in and out he might do a little bit here and there go and shoot another film which you've quite rightly said you can't blame the guy so if, if, if the scorpion king is a any sort of success you know in any way shape or form it's only going to lead to more opportunities to go and do more films which will take him away from the limelight you also quite rightly said it would have probably lengthened his career it will mean that we'll probably have The Rock around for a long time, probably more so than an active wrestler would do for, you know, say the next five years of, of being on the road for how many dates they have to do and being the top man, you know. I think it's 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 something that has has to happen. I think Vince McMahon probably sitting back going, yeah, this is this is great in that sense, but at the same time, you've lost your number one babyface, you lost your number one guy at the moment. And I guess the Hogan match was just a bit of a, a godsend that it went the way it went because it meant short term they could fill that void with a little bit of nostalgia while they rethink what they're going to do or look at who can maybe rise up from 
from the mid card or the upper mid card into that position, which isn't looking that healthy unless it's Steve Austin again. But I don't know if Steve's a long term answer either now after all the years of, of tall he's had. So I think it's it's both positive and negative. I think we're good, definitely going to feel the effects. We're going to miss you know him and his presence and what he brings to it. You could say potentially some of his shticks getting a little bit stale, maybe potentially. So eventually. I know that Steve Austin watch is driving me absolutely insane listening to the crowd do that. Um, I don't think the rock sayings are quite anywhere near that level yet, but eventually I'm guessing that would be tied. But I think he's that good. He just change and do something different really quickly. So we are going to miss this guy, but it's a real testament to the talent that he really is. So uh, big shoes to fill, but the guy is going to keep coming back, which is a good thing. Um, but he want to be in the mix straight away. So he's going to come straight back in and want to be in the top matches. So it would be good to have him around when he comes back. But when will that be? We'll find out. Uh, Davinda, any thoughts on uh, The Rock's upcoming part-time roles? I just feel uh, it does It does give WWE credit in building stars and finding somebody who can transcend different areas of entertainment. Um, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna do well. He's he's just a he's a young, good-looking guy, charismatic, and you know um, whether or not the movies are good is a different thing. But he's he, there is star power in him, as as evidenced by by the past few years in WWE. I just feel that maybe some fans might be resentful um, of him leaving because they've been so loyal and they're the ones that built him up. You know, uh, with their support. Um, when he does come back, though, I just feel like his presence is going to be a big splash when they need it for like a blockbuster match or a, a dream match or just a big match um, that they need, as opposed to making ripples to where there's residual effect and it's everlasting and, and more long term. I just feel like, you know, big matches, big events, they'll call him, see if he's available, and he'll come back and do it. and pack his bags and head out again to Hollywood because Hollywood is calling and, and he's, he's answering. He's, he sees the spotlight. He sees the, the low risk on your body. And um, I'm sure he likes it better over there. I'm sure he does. <laughs> Surely there's a little bit of a difference between, you know, hanging out with movie stars and then having to go and wrestle in a meaningless match on SmackDown for five minutes. Moving on, I think, to all the pay-per-view review backlash 2002 uh i believe pete you are the man with the results on this occasion please run us down the card no problem at all cheers dan so our opening match was tajiri defeated billy kidman to win the wwf cruiserweight championship scott hall with x-pac defeated bradshaw who was uh, accompanied by farouk Jazz defeated Trish Stratus, Stratus um, to retain the Women's Championship. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Lesnar defeated Jeff Hardy uh, by technical knockout, so they were unable to respond. Uh, Kurt Angle defeated Edge. Eddie Guerrero defeated Rob Van Dam to win the Intercontinental Championship. The Undertaker defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin to become the number one contender to the undisputed WWF Championship. Billy and Chuck with Rico defeated the outstanding team of Maven and Al Snow 
to retain the Tag Team Championship. And Hollywood Hogan defeated Triple H to win the undisputed WWF Championship. Let that sink in, Dan. Let that sink in. Devinda, your initial thoughts on this travesty of a pay-per-view? Travesty? What? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I I wonder how fast you turned off your TV as soon as that leg drop hit. Um, There were some good spots. There, there, there was a good spot. I, I was, I was a big fan of Kurt Angle and Edge, and uh, I'm trying to look down these results. It's a reset, gentlemen. I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's, it's wrestling. I enjoy watching wrestling, and um, I, I was surprised that they really pulled the trigger on Hulk Hogan. I think it was, I think it was well paced. Uh, I think some of the uh, match times were very well done, and. Uh, there was some stuff to be desired, but I, I enjoyed watching it. I, I had no, I had a few problems, but not a huge problem. Pete, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I got to the Undertaker and Stone Cold match. And I was like, yeah, this is this is rocking along really well, and it's actually been a decent undercard. Oh, every match has had some sort of build to it, which is always nice. It's not just throwaway stuff on there, and some things carried on. Other things have elevated a few people. It was good. Then we got to The Undertaker and Stone Cold. I know Devin has mentioned sort of match length, but too long a match for me and lots going on, which is probably to be expected. Billy and Chuck at the end, obviously, was a bit of a, just to get everybody back in their seats. And then, of course, we had the the big title change, which, again, was quite a long match for what actually happened. I'm sure Dan's match review will be stellar when we come to listen to that in a few moments. Um but overall, it just felt to me um, like a WCW pay-per-view of sort of 1998 into 1999, where the undercard really worked their socks off and the main events kind of let things down a little bit. Uh, not as bad as some of them, but I just felt there was too much going on in the, the two real big matches, but probably to be expected. But a decent, a decent watch, to be fair. I was quite entertained. You stole my notes, Pete. I've literally wrote, written down, have the time machine broken down and I've been magically transported back four years to 1998 WCW. And clearly the WWF have also caught the nostalgia boom that the majority of the WWF audience is going through right now, as they've also become nostalgic for WCW in 1998 with two main events that I honestly think are some of the worst main events WWF have ever put on propped up by a very impressive undercard of brilliant wrestling in some instances which we will discuss now our first opening contest of the new era of WWF is Tajiri the newly healed Tajiri forcing Tory Wilson to come out in a kimono against the new WWF cruiserweight champion Kidman who won the belt on SmackDown, which is the first time the WWF Cruiserweight title had been defended on TV in 2002. Shows you how much attention they were paying to that belt going forward before this brand split. So, you know, there is a benefit for this brand split. I've got my Cruiserweight boys back. Yes, so as mentioned, Toy Wilson is out in the kimono, which displeases Jerry the Pig Lawler, who has not been able to see any of her puppies, which is 
god awful god the jerry jerry the king lord was atrocious and com on commentary whenever a woman is involved it's absolutely appalling into the ring a springboard drop kick gets the first two of the match a toy chant goes up as the jury is not to the outside but he hangs kidman onto the guardrail to take control a standing yakuza kick from the outside with kidman draped on the bottom rope gets an audible ooh from the crowd which is always nice a pop-up hurricane runner from Kidman is thwarted by a tilt-a-wheel backbreaker from Tajiri. A sliding drop kick to Kidman in a tree of woe before he forces uh, Kidman to twist his back around the ring post and he begins to work over the back. Tajiri goes for a tarantula, which the first attempt is reversed, but a second is successful. We have a great um, counter in the middle of the ropes this time. A handspring elbow is countered by a drop kick to the back and a spinning wheel kick to the back of the head, a German suplex, and a lovely photo over pin uh, by Tajiri gets another two. The Japanese guy is, is absolutely killing it in this opening match. A huge thrust kick gets a two, and Kidman counters a powerbomb into a face buster for a two. Kidman misses his shooting star, but kicks out of from Tajiri's huge Yakuza kick, which gets a big pop from the crowd and Kidman chants. Kidman hits his Ridian superbomb and gets a great near fall pin. He goes for another powerbomb, but Tajiri sprays him straight in the eyes with the red mist and gets the pin to regain his WWF Cruiserweight title. He has a, a post-match interview all in Japanese and basically to cement his new heel persona. Uh, Pete, what did you think of this uh, standard WCW Cruiserweight opening match? <laughs> You've read my lines now, Dan, my lines. Um, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. I think it was a great showcase for, for the Cruiserweight title, who the point still existed. So great to have that back. And this was a great showcase for it. Um, I think uh, you're right about JR. It's just please, it's just more focused on Tory. Most of the start of the match, I thought, God, just please, let's just focus on these two guys because they gave it absolutely everything they had out there for their sort of five six minutes they had um Tajiri though dominated pretty much the entire match which was a bit of a surprise seeing as Kidman was the the new champion um line of the night goes to JR with the old school degree in economics from the University of Japan so if you, you, you two picked that one up during the uh during the commentary that's quite a nice classic line yeah, from JR um but I did like the uh, the dastardly Japanese sort of mooter spray at the end to win. That was a really nice touch and really cements the, the heel turn. And I think Tajiri's just, I mean, obviously in, in ECW, he was incredible um, when he first came in there. Um, we're getting a bit back to sort of those kind of matches. And if this is going to be the, the cruiserweight division and he's the champion, yeah, really looking forward for the future. Really good start, fast pace, crowd well into it. Yeah. Absolutely ticks every box. I, uh, you know, growing up, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to have cable, so I didn't really watch a lot of WCW. You guys are saying that this is standard, like cruiserweight action in WCW. I got to go back and uh, watch it. I really enjoyed this contest. I do echo the sentiments about commentary, uh, you know, focusing on the match rather than Tori. Who, you know, even though she wasn't showing any skin, she looked beautiful. And I, I understand that the story is Tajiri's uh, heel turn and, you know, the way he, he mistreats Tori. But I just, the, the, the match was great. Uh, the near falls got me. Tajiri's kicks are so awesome. That float over pin that you mentioned uh, was one that was a favorite moment of mine, too. And I, I like the fact that even though he's a heel and they're playing up, 
is Japanese heritage, they're not making it look as wonky and as stereotypical Japanese as we've seen in the past with other countries and other heels from other countries. Uh, I liked I liked that he cut the promo in Japanese because uh, I just feel like it drives home that character. I just thought that that was a nice touch. It's his Japanese heritage, but it's not stereotypical Japanese to where it's eye rolling and things like that. I did like the, the contest. I felt like it was a great opening match for the crowd to get into and set the pace for the night. Yep, free for free. As you would expect from me, all over this match, great opener. Tajiri is just probably one of the best wrestlers in the world. If he got 25, 30 minutes to work a match, he probably could get four and a half, five stars out of it. He's that good. He's that vicious. He's that ferocious with his kicks. And the fact that he can get pretty much any crowd to go oof whenever he hits them is testament to how good he is in the ring. And yes, if this heel turn can get him on, you know, into prominent storylines up the card, I'm all for it. And if it means that Tori has to wear a kimono for six months, so be it. That I've mentioned on the show earlier, the cruiserweight title had not been had been an afterthought in WWF since you know Survivor Series. And if the brand split means they've got to fill time and put these this title and these wrestlers on the show more often. I'm all for it because they have got talent to fill it now. And if the if the powers that be are willing to put these guys on the ring for 10 minutes, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that the WC that one of the best things about WCW in the late 90s will be back in the WWF and not some of its worst, which is what I was a little bit more afraid of when the acquisition happened last year. Our second match of the night involves the NWO Poison. God, these this group has fallen so far in just two months. It's absolutely depressing. It's Scott Hall versus Bradshaw. Yes, sir, Farouk is out to back up Bradshaw after they've been separated for, I think, three weeks, which is a little bit of a nice touch. Uh, a sloppy DDT by Bradshaw on Hall to start with. Constant X-Pac sucks chance from the crowd, which again makes me wonder why it's not him in the ring compared to Scott Hall. Farouk hits Hall on the outside. Why wasn't this a DQ? And for once, the King actually is good on commentary and calls it out and says, if X-Pac did that, you'd be calling it heinous. Uh, Bradshaw hits a float over Suplex, which again looks a little bit clunky. Hall takes control of his excellent punches, but basically nothing else for the second month in a row. Bowling Shoe Ugly gets rolled out by JR, which again tells you all you need to know about this match. Hall looks knackered. Clothesline from hell, but X-Pac puts Hall's foot on the rope. The APA take him out, but Hall hits Bradshaw with a low blow and rolls him up for a tight three. Uh, Pete. Any thoughts on the the continued excellence of the NWO here? Well, I think you made a good point that this was a, a, a quite a big match for Scott Hall and the NWO because they've not had much going their way whatsoever, really, have they, since they, they were injected back into the WWF. So I think for Scott Hall to win was, uh, was big for him, but to win with a low blow and a roll-up is just... Wow, what, what what a come down to beat someone like Bradshaw, who obviously they're trying to bring up to some kind of level yet again. Um, I think Hall was very much like a bit like a comedy heel when he was selling, sort of you know 
dancing around a little bit, taking the punches and not looking like, you know, the outsider, Scott Hall and that, even sort of, even Razor Ramon back in the day, he just, I think they're just making them look like absolute chumps basically since, since Hogan left and obviously Nash has had to go home and look after his, his arm or his shoulder, whatever he's, he's selling his injury. Um, very punchy and kicky, not a shock at all. Very cheap finish, I guess. Classic NWO, get a win by by any means. X Pack seemed more over than anybody else in the match, which is a worry again for Scott Hall. Uh, just the, the the decline continues for the NWO, even though they won. It was nothing, was it really? To be fair, and it's very worrying that I think they were like is it two or third, second or third pick in the draft, the NWO. And then the second pick. Yeah, second yeah. pick. And they're being treated to I know Nash is injured, but then what would Kevin Nash bring to this? God only knows it, it could have been even worse. But yeah, it's it's very worrying. But yeah, are we that surprised, really? Davinda, are, are you surprised? Uh no. I'm not. <laughs> only because uh I, like I said, I wasn't able to watch Monday Night War WCW, so when NWO was injected into the WWE, I was excited. And then, you know, when I was, as the weeks went on, judging by their performance on TV, I was like, this is, this is what, like, beat WWE, or WWF, excuse me, um, for all those weeks, you know. And, but I, I, I see that time has passed. Um, it's 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 kind of sad for me because I was such a big, huge Razor Ramon fan, and you know he he was so solid in the ring, and um, I just see that like I said, time has passed. X Pac was the bigger performer in this match, um, and and it and it kind of show it kind of shows a, a problem because Scott Hall, like you know, like Peter said, Scott Hall won. I don't know if it did did anything for him, but would it have it would have just been as damaging or more if Bradshaw had won. And that's no disrespect to Bradshaw. It's just when you're trying to elevate somebody like they're trying to do with Bradshaw, it's, you kind of look at the balance and it's in, you kind of look at the situation where you're like, why is this person at such a high level working with such a mid Carter or, you know, that's kind of insulting or how, you know, how is the mid Carter working with this person? Because you're trying to elevate that person by, by working with somebody at a higher level. And I understand what they're trying to do with Bradshaw. I just feel like the execution was, wasn't what they wanted to do. Every, as you were reading the results of the match, everything in theory sounded like it should have been a good match, but the lack of a disqualification because when Farouk hit Scott Hall, it was right in front of the ref. It was, it was clunky. It was slow at parts, and I understand what they're doing with Bradshaw, and I understand that they're still trying to squeeze all the juice they can out of NWO, but it was it was rough to watch. It, it you know, like I said, I was a big fan of Scott Hall when he was playing Razor Ramon, so it was kind of sad for me, and and I I hope they can bounce back, but it's going to be tough with Nash's injury, Scott Hall's performance, and the fact that they they're just trying to find something by adding X Pac into it. Part of me feels sorry for the NWO in a way because, like, I feel like Kevin Nash and Kane being taken out with injuries has has eliminated two big players of this angle juice from television. 
and that ultimately cannot be accounted for. Well, maybe Kevin Nash because, you know, he's Kevin Nash. But, you know, part of me has schadenfreude and says, well, if any p- group of people have deserved some bad luck, it's these it's these three jabronis, in particular Kevin Nash. I have no goodwill for him at all. And as, as Chris Lacey said last month, Scott Hall just doesn't really need to be wrestling at the minute. He just did not look he did not look comfortable doing anything in this match. Like at least he could bump, which is more than I can say for some other people. But it's it's sad. It's just sad watching Scott Hall wrestle at the minute, really struggling to keep up with Bradshaw. And it's sad that they just don't want to put X Pac in the ring. When again, say what you will about X Pac's legitimacy as a as an NWO frontman, but at least he can go in the ring, and at least he has heat. That is more than I can say right now for a shadow of Scott Hall. Moving on, in the back, Vince McMahon barges into Ric Flair's office and asks him if there's method to his madness in naming himself the special guest referee for Austin versus Undertaker. He says he's beginning to relate to him and says, now that you're in charge, you have to watch your back. But our next match is Trish Stratus challenging Jazz for the WWF Women's title. Before the bell even rings, Molly Holly comes to the ring, says Trish Stratus cheated in the number one contenders match last week on Raw, and then lays her out before Jazz even comes to the ring. The champion takes control early with a nice sidewalk slam and some jabs before Trish fires back. A sidekick gets a two, and then she unleashes some shots on the champion. A handstand hurricane runner and a nice net breaker gets another two. At this point, I just I just completely lost patience with Jerry. He's, he completely breaks t- character and just starts cheering on Trish and making some awful jokes about Jazz, which, again, just makes you feel completely uncomfortable and shows you what a complete perv this man is. Jazz hits a huge powerbomb to take control. Trish goes for satisfaction, but Jazz counters into a back suplex, a dragon screw leg whip, and then a Boston Crab. Jazz pulls Trish back into the center of the ring and locks in STF. A tap out and the champ retains. Davinda, any thoughts on this women's match? Um, before I go into the match, one one uh, particular moment that I loved and made me laugh out loud was when Molly Holly was in the ring and she said, these people do not want a woman who just uses her body to get by or something about bearing skin. And, you know, that obviously got the reaction from the crowd. But I got a shot of Howard Finkel looking confused as hell, as if to be totally disagreeing with Molly Holly. It was awesome. It was hilarious. Um, that was uh, some good. Uh, Fink was looking at her like, no, no, we really do like that. Um, uh, but um, uh, that was that was a great uh, pre-match promo by Molly Holly. She's a very talented woman. And I, I really, really enjoy her work. And um, I, 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 I thought the attack was good for the story of the match because it, it provided a higher mountain to climb for Trish Stratus. And I thought they were going to pull the trigger on her again. But, um, you know, Trish is improving in the ring. I love Jazz because she's just so talented. And she, she's one that doesn't rely on her body to, to, to get by. Her talents in the ring is, is, is exactly what her forte is. Um, I was just pleased with the match. It was just a solid match. Jazz is is a a good person for Trish to to learn 
from. And um, I feel like Trish is just going to get better from here. And Jazz is a great champion. I like that they kept the belt on her. Pete? Yeah, I think Trish is playing one of the, the better underdog roles in the company at the moment. I think you wanted her to overcome these odds with Molly coming out and sort of softening her up with the with the beat down at the beginning and then Jazz coming in. You knew that she was up against it, but you almost were wishing that she'd overcome it. So I guess the job is done in terms of, of that. What the worry is, of course, is the commentary, particularly from, from the King, is just horrendous. There's no, no acknowledgement that Trish has come a hell of a long way um, in ring, is able to put on a decent match and is, is improving week by week by week, really. And there's, a, there's some storylines starting to appear now in the women's division. We now have a women's division, which is, I know it's only sort of two or three or four people, but we've got some something happening now. Um, but Jazz was obviously very dominant in this. And you almost looked at that, was she going to get to the ropes? And I thought Trish would make it and then she might win the match. But then the tap out came and actually probably with the right result to keep Trish as that, that plucky underdog who I think will overcome the odds eventually and we probably will get there, just not right now. I think that worked for me. So yeah, I was I was quite quite happy. And obviously I think Trish needs to win win soon and win the win the big match soon. Or she'll just forever be this just underdog blonde bombshell and really she's she's quite tough and getting tougher. So yeah, but no, if a woman's match on a pay per view, yeah, yeah, all good. First note I wrote after this match is, can we please give these two 10 minutes? We've had two matches of those now, and they've got progressively better with each pay-per-view that we've got through. These two could easily hold a crowd's attention for 10 minutes with the characters that they've got. And as you both have said, Trish is playing a great babyface character, which is on the you know comparatively compared to what's been before. And I think Jazz is the one of the best heel champions again that they've got and again the super is because of the two pairings but her being strong and her winning by clean tap out victory here really does do wonders for her pretty much a version of a unstoppable heel that they have got as in the women's division so hopefully some come king of the ring come home maybe even summer sam we can get trish beating jazz and becoming the women's champion because that would would really probably be one of the biggest wins a, a women's champ can get. Um, and yeah, I have nothing but praise for these two. I think they're, I think they're great. And the more that we can see these two wrestle, the better. Up next is the upcoming debut of the monster Brock Lesnar versus Jeff Hardy in what is Lesnar's first televised match after four weeks of utter dominance. Uh, Jeff fires straight up, but Brock easily fights him off. But Jeff hits a crossbody to the outside and then Brock fires him into the corner before spearing Jeff repeatedly with shoulder blocks in the corner. Two huge belly to belly suplexes follow. And then Brock Lesnar literally fireman carries Jeff and lifts him into three backbreakers. And out of nowhere, Whisper in the Wind set Brock down for the first time. Two leaping jawbreakers and Jeff hits a swanton. But Brock kicks out. Jeff then goes for a chair, but Brock catches him in mid-swing, hits the spinning TKO that took Matt out last week. But then Paul Heyman says, make him suffer. Brock hits three huge powerbombs, and Teddy Long stops the match. The winner by 
technical knockout, which I think is one of the very first times I've seen this happen in WWF pay-per-view, is Brock Lesnar. Davinda, what did you make of uh, the next big things in ring debut? Um, I thought it was a good match. Jesus, Brock is just a scary, scary dude. Um, his back is like the size of my garage. He's just insanely muscular <laughs> and, and just it, it's crazy. He's just nuts. I would have actually. So I, I kind of proved myself wrong. I would have actually uh, preferred Matt to be this first match since Matt, I feel, is the more fundamentally sound between the two of the Hardys. But Jeff really impressed me. I feel like they laid out a good formula of the match. It was smart to uh, get the chair to kind of show I need more than just my moves to stop this guy because the swanton didn't work. I felt like that really played into how how much of a big thing, pun intended, is Brock Lesnar. Um, Paul Paul Heyman is just gold with him. I feel like that's a perfect pairing. Um, and I, th- I I really hear I really saw the investment in this Brock Lesnar character because of Jim Ross saying it shouldn't be too long before he becomes untouchable. And that kind of made me think like how many people can this guy go through before we say, okay, we have to put him into the next level because all the investment into this man and and how much of a star he looks it, that one line kind of solidified it for me like you know i'm kind of thinking how many pay-per-view matches can we have like this until we all like fans and office say okay we got it we got it like really take this guy to the next level so i'm really looking forward to seeing uh what kind of career pans out for this man as long as he stays safe stays healthy and stays out of trouble Pete. Yeah, this was a great David versus Goliath match, wasn't it? I think it, it played perfectly into what's been going on. Uh, I, I agree with De, uh, Devinda. Jeff uh, really impressed me and was really over. I mean, the Hardy Boys in general are the whole act and what's happened are, are, are very over. But him as a in the singles match, I think the crowd were invested that could he overcome the the monster? Could he overcome this guy? And obviously, in the end. Uh, absolutely destroyed and you go right why wasn't he just allowed to pin him at the end just just pin him uh, the referee just sort of went no no more <laughs> end the match whereas opposed to just put your foot on him and pin him would have been equally as impressive I suppose as opposed to a technical knockout but what a push this guy's this guy's got he's got Paul Heyman as his mouthpiece next to him and we all know Paul Heyman and the creativity that that guy's got and I think the 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 sky's there, isn't it, for him just to just to break through? I was expecting maybe Matt to come out, maybe you know, just to come out and try as luck and get maybe destroyed as well to really, really put Brock over as you know, he's just beating multi-time tag team, not just some jobbers. This guy's beating on pay-per-view as his debut. He's beating the Hardy Boys, you know, multi-time tag team champions who are you know, quite established. So this was a a massive push and. It kind of echoes a little bit of Goldberg, dare I say, that if this continues with these kind of wins and these kind of impressive performances, I'm pretty sure eventually Brock's going to get near the top a hell of a lot quicker than Goldberg probably ever would do. But it does have that kind of similar feel to it, that this guy is a a force and could be unstoppable. So, yeah, what, what a way to get a guy to come in and just literally struck a rocket to him and off you go and 
yeah, Brock is is going to be an unbelievable, unbelievable force, and I'm just looking forward to seeing him carry on. Great stuff. We've obviously had monsters come in and then become main eventers slash champions very quickly. Off the top of my head, Yokozuna, Kane, Goldberg. I, I legitimately think this monster <laughs> is the best I've seen in admittedly my short time in wrestling, but it's the combination of this the obvious muscle, the obvious size and the obvious strength, but it's the speed. Like the spears he gives Jeff Hardy in the corner look absolutely ferocious. And if like Goldberg could, you know, had the intensity and the power and limited speed, but nowhere near as scary as Lesnar can do. Like I know it's Jeff Hardy, but if this if you can envisage Brock Lesnar doing this to Triple H, to The Undertaker, to Stone Cold Steve Austin, good God. <laughs> like this 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 guy has just got it all. Like if if Vince could grow a wrestler in a lab, he could grow Brock Lesnar. That's what this guy is. He has everything. And you put him in with Paul Heyman, who can talk for days. And literally, I don't see any reason why this act, this double act, cannot just reach the stars by the end of the year. He, he is scarily impressive. Now, obviously, so scarily fast. impressive. He's so fast. Scarily impressive does not necessarily mean that it's going to work. Like, I can reel off 911, Mike Awesome as also equally impressive individuals that for whatever reason just didn't work with Vince's mindset. And who knows what may happen. But right now, this match made me a believer quicker than I think I've ever thought a wrestler could become a top star. And that this only took five minutes. Imagine what he could do with a legitimately amazing worker like Kurt, Eddie, RVD. I'm trying to think who else is on the raw side. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Give Brock yes. Lesnar the, the, the run. This kid's got it. I really do believe that. I think Davinda made a great point as well about staying healthy and also not hurting other people as well mm. in that in that world. If he can stay safe and be safe, because Rob Van Dam came in, didn't they? Had that reputation of being a little bit sloppy, a little bit unsafe, and was sort of catching people with the chair shots and some of his moves, and people were a little bit reluctant to take some of the moves. And I think he's got over that now. But if Brock can remain injury free and also, you know quite popular in the back i guess is the word the phrase to put it yeah i mean <laughs> there's no end to where he could end up no end next up it's edge versus kurt angle uh, angle is out first and the crowd is chanting you suck in time to his music uh i know this had been done before but they included what afterwards which is gone but these chants are getting louder and louder so this might be something that sticks guys unfortunately edge is out next and he takes control early with a nice flapjack and then a clothesline takes angle over the top rope angle stomps on edge as he gets back in the ring but edge hits his fitting wheel kick and angle takes control again with a perfect german suplex and deservedly it gets a woo from the best worker in the world 
The two exchange knife edge chops before belly to belly from Kurt gets a two. We take a break before Edge fights out of a rolling German attempt to hit his own belly to belly, but not quite as good. But, you know, hey ho, got to compete with Kurt Angle here. Edge fires up on his own comeback, a big bad body drop, and then two modified face busters get a pair of twos. Edge waits too long to hit a crossbody and allows Angle to run up the ropes and hit a huge suplex for a close two count. Angle finally hits his three rolling Germans, but Edge hits one of his own, and Angle that takes a sore looking bump right on the side of his head, which definitely draws a little bit of time to get him back on his, uh, you know, his wavelength. Edge backdrops Angle over the top and wipes him out of a crossbody on the outside. A missile drop kick gets a two. Angle counters two execution attempts and hits the Angle slam. One, two, no, Edge kicks out. The ankle lock is locked in, and after some time, Edge reverses Angle into a roll-up for a very close two. Angle gets frustrated and grabs a chair, but it backfires when he hit, when he misses, and it swings back and bounces back into his face. Edge hits the edge matic One, two, no, very close kick out. Edge goes for a spear, but Angle punts Edge in the face on the run-through. Another big Angle slam. One, two, three. 13 minutes of absolutely brilliant wrestling. Peter, do you agree? Oh, by a million percent. Match of the night, easily, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I thought it was a, a, a fantastic uh, back and forth. And I think we kind of spoke uh, before we started recording, Dan, about our fearless leader, Rory, has never been quite sure about Edge and has he really you know, connected? Is he really, is he going to make it? And I think we can all say now after this match, he's he's here and he's he's definitely where he, where he wants to be. I think it's taken potentially someone like Angle um, to have that match with. But you know, this was just 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 brilliant. For I would say Angle was obviously clearly main event and Edge is probably mid card at this point, but now he's elevating himself into the upper mid card, which is what I think this is all about as well. Um, the near falls were fantastic. Um, I loved the fact that Edge was using lots of suplexes as well on Angle, so sort of mixing up the his move set a little bit to go alongside Angle. Angle's just well uh, incredible, and I quite like the uh, the punt and Angle slam combo to to win it was a a nice slightly different way to set up the Angle slam. I really like that. Uh, Edge brought this big time the whole way, and he hung with with Angle all the way and I, I was almost thinking he was going to win at one point but pleased angle one because i think he's got a little bit lost in that shuffle good to see him win but you know he he's put edge over huge here and yeah angle no doubt about it is probably i would say the top wrestler they have in the company that's not a hard thing to say and he's continues his 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 dominance in that sense one thing i thought was quite interesting was i think Angle sort of was playing the veteran, but I believe Edge is more experienced in the ring than Angle, because Angle's only been around, isn't he, sort of a few years. It's, it's quite scary to think how quickly this guy has come in, won everything, basically. Um, and on the mic, he's, you know, he's just, just amazing in his character, but in the ring, just incredible. So, yeah, I think these two hopefully might have a few, uh, a few more matches along the way. But, yeah, brilliant stuff. Just shows you how good he is. Davinda? Uh, match of the night by a long shot. No, no, nothing comes close to this tonight. It was um, 
it was. I feel like it was a coming out party for Edge. I know Edge has been in the singles division for a long time. Well, not very long. I, I guess since last summer. But I really feel like they're really investing in, in in him now. Even though he held the Intercontinental Title and the, you know all this all these accolades that he had last year, I just really feel that being in there with Angle, who's a main eventer and who's just so damn good in the ring. Uh, I did see, I did see, you know, little glimpses of of Angle playing the veteran. Um, Edge is more experienced, but I just feel like Angle has more more experience in this level of the uh, of the card. It was just such a good match. Those near falls were great. Angle and Edge. There, I mean, there's nothing more I can say about this match, but it was damn near perfect. And I really feel like Edge is on his way up from here, and this was the starting point. Yeah, I agree everyone's sentiments as well. This was easily matched at the nights. And I think that Edge, now that he isn't being asked to do gritty, violent babyface stuff that he was doing with Regal, and he's now just back to being a pretty cool and slightly comedic babyface in the way that he had his natural persona come through with the Edge and Christian tag team, he's getting over. Just let the people be the natural selves and then generally people will get over and some of the stuff i think this feud has probably been the best thing on tv for the last month the comedy skits which don't really work with podcasts but if you have got time go and check out a segment with angles cue cards with edges um photo opportunities it that's probably one of the funniest things i've seen wwf produce in a long time and it involves two of the best comedic wrestlers that they have and it's a good thing that they can wrestle because, yeah, Edge clearly had skills. I remember a match he had with Owen Hart back in 98, which was a very, very good match. It just shows you that put, if you put Edge in the ring with an elite worker, you get good stuff. And in this, well, in this case, great stuff. And Angle, I will say it again, is untouchable right now as a worker. There's no one better than him. And he's getting the best out of a guy that WWF clearly wants to promote as a main eventer. And, you know, with The Rock being absent and not a lot of gas left in the uh, Hulkamania nostalgia bubble, potentially given by what's going on later in the month, these two, if they can hold down an upper card spot, are going to tear the house down, given what they've just put on. Great match. If you have an opportunity to check it out, please do so. Unfortunately, after this match, we have to see a cooldown moment where Chris Jericho comes out live and moans that he hasn't been booked tonight. He's not hanging around, especially not for the main event. A, why wasn't this moved to backstage and condensed down? B, why wasn't the time used for this segment spent in you know either giving some time to Jazz versus Trish or even the last match? And C great way to lose heat on a guy by moaning that he hasn't been booked it's one of the worst tropes in wrestling and i can't stand it and you're doing it with chris fucking jericho you're really making my job difficult trying to defend this guy more and more thankfully though the next match should rekindle my interest in the show as rob van dam uh, defends his intercontinental title against the returning Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero, and he's looking in amazing shape. It's great to see this man back and hopefully going to be regaining his, his position as one of the most elite workers in the world. 
A hot start, an RVD hits Eddie with a spinning heel kick and a rolling monkey flip. A heel kick gets a two, and then a standing moonsault gets another two after a lovely series of kicks and flips by the always flippy Rob Van Dam. A bit of a sloppy vertical suplex into a pin, and Eddie goes for a suplex, superplex, but RVD counters by hanging Eddie on the top rope while hitting a flying kick from the top. It's moonsaults aplenty by RVD as he hits Eddie with two different variants, and then a spinning kick with Eddie hanging from the apron. Backing, Eddie comes back with a tiltable backbreaker and a Mexican surfboard into a dragon sleeper. That leads to the gory stretch, but Van Damme won't give up. The slingshot senton gets two, followed by a beautiful arm drag hurricane runner. Eddie hits a brain buster into a backdrop suplex. He then goes up for the frog splash, but Van Damme blocks with an enziguri. Van Damme sets up a superplex of his own, but Eddie counters with an absolutely awful sunset fit powerbomb in the best possible way. Rob hits a spinning wheel kick, so Eddie grabs the title belt. RVD takes it away from him and bumps Tim White in the process. Eddie gives RVD a net breaker on the belt and finishes with a huge frog splash almost on the shoulder of RVD. Eddie Guerrero is the new Intercontinental Champion. What a way to return. Davinda, what are your thoughts on this match? I was a real big fan of the match. Uh, Eddie, as a serious heel, is... is just as good as his, uh, you know, Latino lover heel shtick that he had. Um, he's just so good. And I, you know, I, it, it's a, it's a testament to, uh, you know, some backstage issues that, that happened before, you know, he's definitely, uh, redeeming himself to the office and to the fans by putting up a great match. Uh, these two guys can't have a bad match together. And, I was just a big fan of it. I was just, I, I just loved watching the match. Pete, thoughts on the match and uh, Eddie's return? I'll say this: Eddie's certainly had his Weetabix or his uh, Icrobar, isn't he? Because wow, he he looks a million dollars, isn't he? He looks unbelievable shape, which is testament to to how he's looked after himself outside the ring. So fair play to him. I wasn't as high on the match, you know. I thought it was all right. I know Eddie dominated the majority of it. I think RVD, he got got a bit in, but he, I think that's probably by, on on purpose to really give Eddie that, that return and dominate and pick up the win. But I wasn't as, I think coming off the edge angle match, it couldn't compare to that, but I think it was a great showcase for Eddie. Great that he's won, won the title. Good to see him back. We need, we need Eddie Guerrero and, and, a, and a healthy and a good Eddie Guerrero back. Yeah, I just it didn't it didn't do a great deal for me. I don't know why. I just didn't. I felt a little bit meh about it, really. I don't know. It just seemed a bit one of those matches that didn't quite do it for me. These two probably had match after match after match, which will probably blow me away in the coming months, and I have to shut up then, won't I? But this just didn't really do it for me. Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in the middle of your pair of you. I definitely thought this was still good. I mean, it's Eddie Guerrero and RVD, and I think. Personally, it's very difficult for them to put on a mere match. But again, as you said, Pete, they they potentially can do. But there's still something a little bit missing. I thought it was there wasn't it was more RVD does his stuff in the first bit. Then Eddie will do his stuff in the second bit. And there was them straight to the finish. But yeah, uh, Eddie Guerrero was probably the best work in the world. Well, in North America anyway, five years ago. And for his own personal reasons, as definitely was a shell of himself in the back end of 2000 and early 2001. 
I really hope he's back to something that is approaching his best and he's in a better place physically and mentally. Because as we'll discuss with Raw in particular, we are in desperate need for some excellent workers and Eddie Guerrero is probably the best of all of them. So giving him the Intercontinental title belt on his first month return, I really hope is a, is a vote of confidence from the Fed and the higher ups to say, look, we we are I'm completely on board with you and you you are now a fully fledged member of the upper mid card and the doubts they had about him are gone because yeah if he's on song this guy could rival Kurt as the best worker in the Fed and I really hope that that's the case RVD is a little bit again we he won the title last month and now he's dropped it immediately back to someone who again is has had unbel- has reliability issues and i hope they're gone but again it kind of does lead to the point that rory and Lacey have been worried is true for a long time they just see rvd as a entertaining mid-card act nothing more hopefully that's not the case as well but again if rob van damme's in the mid-card at least he's going to put on some good matches and i thought this was good and i hope we get more of it and it's always good to see a feud over something that's actually worthwhile moving on to the ultimately the b the b level match that was built around this card stone cold steve austin versus the undertaker for the number one contendership undertaker comes out first of all still with rolling which doesn't really fit this character at all i'm really hoping he gets some new music soon it's austin out next and on the austin pop watch it's fair. It's a fair babyface level, but the crowd definitely come more unglued for what chance? Goodness sake. I was a fan of these a few months ago. Can we please stop? Please stop. We want the pops of the glass shattering, not for what? But the bell rings, the two square off. Austin is knocked down by a shoulder tackle and Austin can't do the same to the Undertaker. But Austin eventually knocks him down and at last and flips off Taker twice before out wrestling Big Red. Flair's not a great counter in the every sense of the word. And I really wish Mike Kyoto was back in doing this refereeing job rather than Ric Flair. Taker overpowers Austin and eventually hits old school before Austin knocks his bandana off with a Lou Fez press. They brawl out into the crowd and back again. Austin goes for a pile driver, but Austin uh, is backdropped and onto the floor. The NWO saunter out to observe with X-Pac wearing Kane's mask, which looks rather silly. And observe they do, though, because Taker whips Austin into the steps, which Aust- which injures Austin's leg. And so Taker begins to work it over in the ring and locks in a side leg lock. Austin makes the rope, so Taker applies a chin lock. And the match just bogs down and the crowd are much more interested in something that's going on behind them than what's happening in the ring. After more boring heat segment, the two close on each other and Austin, stu- Austin stumps a mud hole into Taker as he recovers. Austin whips Taker into Flair, and now Flair apparently has referee health bar as he's down for much longer than he would be as a wrestler. Austin hits a stunner, but Flair is out. Taker goes low on Austin and chokes Samson for a two. Taker is frustrated, so he grabs a chair. Smart move for someone desperate to be champion, and the best way to do that is to lose by disqualification. Luckily for him, Flair won't let him use it, so Taker boots Austin for two. Austin goes for Sunner, but it gets sent into Flair again. And this one looked a little bit more sore, so at least I can understand being Flair being knocked out for the next two minutes. Austin is hit in the head with a chair, but he kicks out. They trade near falls, and Undertaker goes for a dragon sleeper. 
Austin reverses and goes for one of his own, but Taker rams him into the corner. Then Austin grabs the chair, but this time Taker boots it back into his face. Rather than disqualifying him, Ric Flair counts the pin for the win at 27 minutes. God, that went slow. Uh, Austin's foot, though, was on the ropes, but in kayfabe, Rick didn't see it, but which you doesn't work because you can clearly see Ric Flair staring at the rope before starting the count. Again, camera angles, WWF. This would really help the storytelling if you just made sure that the camera angle was properly done correctly. But anyway, quibbles about the finish aside. Pete, what did you make of this 27-minute-long Undertaker Stone Cold Steve Austin match? So my notes began with Flair's red shoes or boots. That just made me laugh. He's ridiculous with his red shoes on. I thought that was quite. That was quite. Best funny. part of the match. Best part of the match. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you were. That was that. like that was Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. That's exactly stuff. what that was I was going to say. Dorothy Flair was out in force doing his doing his referee. Uh, gimmick so yeah fantastic work from from flair there um i generally couldn't pick a winner at the start which i've guessed was probably a good thing you didn't know did you who, who was gonna gonna win because austin and taker have been you know quite dominant they don't lose often these guys do they let's be honest out there um the flair slow counts really put me off and they kept commenting that as long as it's the same all the way through that's all good and it turned out they weren't so that was you know flair just I don't know, going to town for himself a little bit. The NWO came out and stood, and that was it. And that was really odd. What was that all about? And they barely, you could see him in the background at one point. So, yet more NWO just looking like absolute twats stood there doing nothing, which I thought was, didn't even interfere, didn't get involved. Was this match a no DQ? Was this match a uh, just brawl anywhere, and then Flair stops chair shots, but allows him to brawl over the crowd and do. It was just a a real mess. But I guess they had 27 minutes to do everything they could possibly could, and we've seen far superior Austin Taker matches, obviously earlier in their careers, healthier, fitter versions of what we're seeing now. But to go 27 minutes was just. I think you could shave easily 10 12 off this and you'd still probably have a, a half decent brawl which is what they should have gone for you know not knock down drag out brawl between these two rather than anything else um the finish had to be a bit messy didn't it it could never be a clean with flair being the referee um don't mind the don't mind the finish don't mind taker winning that did surprise me a little bit um Obviously, with the the end of the night, it didn't surprise me who won as well. I think we can probably gather what I'm getting to there a little bit with Austin and Hogan would have been a very interesting match at this point right now. So Taker, Hogan, with that nostalgia vibe, takes us all the way back to Taker and uh, Hogan in, what, 90, where are we, 92, was it? I think those two. 91. 91, 92, when they, those two first, the gravest challenge. So that... that the nostalgia lives on with Vince, with uh, Taker and Hogan now. So, yeah, I just think it was just too long. Flair, I don't, I don't think he ruined it, but obviously he's playing that that role of, of it. But I just don't I just think it was. It is, isn't it? It really is. Um, I don't think he ruined it. Well, you know what I mean? I just think it was a bit one of those matches that 
I don't know the, the position it was in. It was too long, and it, yeah, it just it, I don't know. Twenty-seven minutes, man. Blimey! And you, as you say, it was slow. It did not fly by, did it? We you were we were really waiting for it to end, and thank God it did. I'll shut up there. Because <laughs> I was because I was starting to meander into twenty-seven minutes as well, so I apologise. Devinda. So um, I, I really don't care what the story is, but I want to believe that Ric Flair <clears throat> is so used to going into business for himself that he just showed up totally forgetting he was going to be a referee that night and had to just go out in his boots. I mean, I'm sure somebody wore the same pants, size as him, and you know, he grabbed a referee shirt from the, from the bin. But I, I want to know, I want to believe that he just showed up like, oh, that's right. I'm going to be, a, I should have bought shoes. I should have brought some shoes. Um, they really should have cut the time on this. Um, and the, the ending with Undertaker, you know, winning, you know, just like Peter said, I didn't know who was going to win, but I was just so programmed to know that when there's a special referee, something's going to be off. So this is leading into another Austin versus authority figure. It looks like for me, just substituting Flair for uh, or substituting McMahon for Flair. And it's it's a it's a story we already saw. And as soon as I had that thought, it made me think like this is a very interesting position where Austin is in when he was out rock and Triple H, you know, and sometimes McFoley held, you know, ran with the ball for him. And when he came back, you know, he came back on top. But when you look back at history, after Hogan's run on the top and Bret Hart took over after that, what happened to Hogan? He kind of just disappeared. And when Bret was done and Sean took over, Bret also kind of disappeared for a few months. And then they were trying to work out what they were going to do with him. And Sean disappeared when Stone Cold took over. Now that you got Triple H, you got Kurt moving up, you brought in the NWO, you got Hogan. What's going to happen now with Austin now that he's not the guy on top? So it's I, I don't know what's going to happen within the next couple months with Stone Cold. I'm assuming it's going to be something with Flair since Flair messed up the count. Um, but that that's a, that's a story for another day. But the match itself was kind of slow for me. They should have cut some time off, given it to other matches, or maybe even had another match somewhere. They could have squeezed in another match. It, it, it did what it had to do, but uh, the stories after it are more intriguing than the match itself. I love how you say intriguing, Devinda. For me, it's it's actually... It's a very, very different ways you can take it, sir. That's right. Come in from all angles. I'm going to use intriguing. That's my word. Worrying is the word I would have used. Because, <laughs> as you said, it's, it's, it's old hats. We've... I am... Austin versus authority figure has literally it's peaked. We got the peak yeah. version of this. We don't need a nostalgic rehash involving Ric Flair, who look, he's 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 in the autumn or the early winter of his career. Like I, I'm all fine with Austin versus Flair as a one-off match. With, with some build towards it. But let that be a dream match involving Austin versus Ric Flair. Don't let it be a authority figure storyline again. Because, again, we've we've had that before. And it was a bloody amazing. 
I don't want to be reminded of something that's been better done going forward. And look, Austin, we've had worries. I, we were all worried last month about his mental state and his physical state. And I generally thought that he looked to be in a much better place mentally throughout his program with Taker in the last two weeks. But then after this, he does again, he just looks to be, have really regressed a little bit again in terms of his 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 mental framework, you know, and I just feel that this is not doing him any favors. He needs fresh blood effectively to give him a challenge. And I don't know where that's coming from. It certainly is not coming from the NWO, who again just stood there. They just stood outside the ring doing nothing. If you want to make these guys an actual legitimate threat, have them do something against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin has basically beaten them to a pulp in the last month and a half. They do, they aren't a threat to him. Why are they still involved? And then we come to, again, nostalgia. The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin have faced each other on pay-per-view in 1997, 1998, 1999, and 2001. And I don't think they've had a great match at all in any of them. Like the best we got was SummerSlam, when Austin got concussed in the first five minutes. They, they gave him 27 minutes here with as much time as possible to have a good match. And I just don't think they have that chemistry that you need to have amazing matches. And The Undertaker is still a bottomless pit of mediocrity, even with a character refresh. I really have wanted to like this heel character. Just something that was different from going to school you know, cool, badass face that was absolutely lame and awful. And I really have tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's no, too late now. You've had multiple chances with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you've failed on both occasions. This match was very dull, as you can probably tell from my notes. I lost so much patience with this match. The booking of it was awful. The execution of it was bad. Ric Flair as a referee was atrocious. Dorothy Flair is going to be my abiding image of this pay-per-view from now on. Please don't give us Austin versus Dorothy Flair for the next two or three months. Give Austin someone like Eddie Guerrero or a returning Chris Benoit or anybody that he hasn't had rehashed programs with from his glory days three or four years ago. I can't have the guy who was probably the biggest wrestling star of the 90s become another guy. He doesn't deserve that please give him something better to do than a rehashed authority angle. You would think in theory that two brawlers would have a, a great match. But when you look back at some of their greatest opponents, their greatest opponents have been somebody with a totally different repertoire and moveset as them. Always with contrasting styles, you get better matches, I feel. This is just off a tangent, but I've never felt you're going to take as a brawler. Think back to those awful matches that they had when with awful Lord of Darkness Undertaker with Austin and The Rock and they tried to do the Attitude Era style Vince Russo brawl and The Undertaker was shite in all of them. The Undertaker is brilliant with a undersized technician like Brett or Sean. I don't think Austin or The Rock is that guy and ultimately I don't think Triple H is that person either and that's maybe why this Undertaker heel run hasn't ignited in the ring that I maybe thought he could have done versus when he turned heel. 
and I, I don't think it's any incident that he his best match of his run has been with Ric Flair, who again is an undersized, undersized babyface. Yeah, I don't think having a motorbike makes you a brawler, obviously, doesn't it? So you ride a motorbike to the ring that makes you a brawler. And I would say he had a decent match with RVD, that hardcore match. That was the beginnings of a, a slightly different style that we were seeing. But then to go back and do that elsewhere, it's just not working, is it? I think The Undertaker isn't that. It is old school, isn't it? It is that, that offence that, he, that he's always had. And then to start being this, was it, was it called Booger Red? Do we even know? I know we mentioned that. Big red, booger even... red. Uh, what is, this? Is, is booger red another word for big? Is, is that, what does it actually mean? I have no I have idea. No idea. I asked that question earlier. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of alarming Like who came up with it because I'm like, yo, if you have red boogers, you need to get that checked out. Yeah, you've got some, you've got some problems. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I don't, I don't know quicker. of any booger being red. So, I mean, whoever thought that up, I'm like, you 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 got to have a conversation with somebody about that, buddy. Yeah. Big issues. Bringing endorsement for the WWF main event scene, everyone. So after that 27-minute epic, it's Billy and Chuck defending their WWF tag team titles versus Al Snow and Maven in a bathroom break match. Uh, hard stomps from my Chuck on Maven. Maven hits a DDT on Billy, but he can't make a tag to Al. He hits a nice enziguri, though, and he finally makes a tag. Hot tag action by Snow before Chuck brings him down with a clothesline. A slightly bot string and net breaker and a nice suplex by Chuck on Al Snow, which isn't good considering that Snow is the veteran. Snow makes a tag to Maven and a flurry of right hands with a tough enough winner before he drops his head too low for Billy to hit the fame asser. Snow drags him out though before the three. Chuck super kicks Al, but, but Rico's spinning heel kick backfires. That allows Maven to hit a crossbody for two. Snow chases Rico away, complete with a leaving Maven alone in a two-on-one situation. Chuck super kicks Maven and Billy gets the pin. Uh, Davinda, you first before Pete uh, is lined up for a rant about the tag team division. Yeah, rant, rant aside, I understand Peter's uh, sentiments about the tag division. I am a huge fan of Billy Gunn and Maven. I just, I just really like, I, I was watching Tough Enough and I was rooting for Maven and I've always thought Billy Gunn was a hell of a wrestler. Al Snow is a hell of a guy to be guiding Maven along in his career. I just find it funny after the execution that this was supposed to be the, okay, we can calm down now match because they were expecting Undertaker and Stone Cold to burn the house down with their match. Uh, The placement. Yeah, because that's exactly what it was. Come on. You saw that, right? You know, right after that long match, 27 minutes, like, (laughs) cheering on your feet no like screaming at the top of your lungs this was supposed to be the okay we can calm down now but it's it was it was uh admirable in its placement it's another match that just did what it did it's like let's just get this tag title match in there and have them ready for the main event i really really no no notes on this match pete over to you yeah, um, I've got no issue with, with Billy and Chuck per se. At least they're a tag team. They have matching gear. They have a gimmick. You know, they're, they're champions. That that works on its own, doesn't it? Because fair enough. But everybody else they they face is just two wrestlers chucked together. I know Snow maybe they've got that tough enough connection. But oh dear, I mean to put the tag team title in this position, I mean. 
to be fair, it's probably the worst match of the night for that reason. So maybe it is in the right spot, but you can see what I mean. It shouldn't be in this spot because the tag title should be something that we're, you know, looking forward to or, you know, but unfortunately there's just nothing out there right now. I can't think of another tag team and I'm struggling to think in my mind right now, apart from Billy and Chuck, who are together currently being, obviously the Hardy boys aren't really being a tag team, right? They've been beating the absolute living hell out of by Brock Lesnar, so they're not even competing as a tag team. Is anybody else out there, is there? So Billy and Chuck can have a nice reign for as long as they they want to until they finally get something going in this division because this is the weakest it's been for a hell of a long time and this match has said it all it was a raw first hour match basically and i'm stunned it got six minutes that's a long piss break well given that we had 27 minutes of action last match probably a a lot of people were queuing at the the door so i can understand six minutes for that reason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> absolutely yeah I've said my piece on the tag team division enough in the last few months to, I'm not going to add anything new all I I just found the most entertaining aspect of this match was Rico's rather camp scream but there we go main event time here we go ladies and gentlemen Triple H defending his undisputed WWF championship versus Hulk Hogan himself we're in full-blown nostalgia mode right now as Hogan recalls all his past glories in the promo package leading up to the main event. We start off and Triple H outmuscles Hogan in his the first test of strength and Hogan waddles back into the corner. There is no mobility at all in that man's legs. However, after another test of strength, the same thing happens again. But the crowds infuses and bring Hogan back and he pushes Triple H back for the first time. Triple H literally sprints back to the corner as a clear contradiction to the two levels of ability of the both men more tests of strength for two minutes i I swear this has been going on for that first five minutes it's just been tested of strength standing arm lock now big drama shoulder tackle takes down the game another big taunt by hollywood hulk hogan i i swear this has been that's the first bump and it's been six minutes triple h slaps hogan in the corner and starts working in in the corner a big back body drop, an actual running clothesline by Hulk Hogan, and a 10-punch spot in the corner. They head outside, and Hogan hits a suplex on the outside. Actually, a bump by Hogan. Bloody hell. After a hard Irish whip, Hogan catapults Triple H and gets a schoolboy. Two gl- clotheslines in the corner, followed by a diamond cutter, of all things. Triple H chop blocks Hogan's leg and goes to work. Hogan kicks out of a figure four attempt, but Hogan uh, is clipped again. Hogan kicks out another attempt, so Hunter gets pissed and pummels him so he'll be too groggy to kick out this time. He finally locks it on to complete with heelish rope holding. A sleeper is locked in and Hogan counters with a very weak back suplex. Hogan gets the big boot and the immortal leg drop, but out comes Chris Jericho, the swine, who takes out the referee and whacks Hogan with a chair. Hunter isn't taking that win though, so he tosses Jericho to the outside. Hogan hulks up, complete with a finger wag, and misses the second leg drop and takes a pedigree. But now up comes The Undertaker, who runs down and takes out the referee again. Taker smashes Hunter in the face of the chair and drags Hogan on top. Hogan doesn't want to win that way, so he disposes of The Undertaker and then leg drops the prone Triple H anyway, as if that's somehow more honourable to become the new Undisputed Champion. 
One, two, three. Yes, to my nightmare, Hulk Hogan is the new WWF champion in 2002. And Triple H still offers him the hand, even after all that. Devinder, whilst I go and have wiped the tears from my eyes, let me know your thoughts on this epic match and Hulk Hogan as champion in 2002. How much did it hurt you to to say those last few words? You said epic <laughs> match and Hulk Hogan as champion in 2002. So as a kid, I was a huge Hulkamaniac, and I would try to rip my shirt and mess up my collar, which made my mom uh, get upset. And I would do the posing and the, you know everything. So I saw exactly why they were they were bringing Hogan back in the red and yellow, and it's good business. But I never thought as a kid about the body of work. So as I was watching this match, I'm like, oh, that's right. This is the way Hogan wrestled. As we're moving on into an era where there are just crazier moves and more risks and the work rate in the ring is as leveled up with all these talented, talented wrestlers, Hogan is going to Hogan. And uh, the the match itself is a Hogan match, and I, I couldn't expect anything else. Hogan is our champion in 2002, and and it it uh I understand striking while the iron is hot, and it's good business. But this was like a year long investment into Triple H, or close to a year, ten months I'd say, and just to drop the belt again because wrong place, wrong time, I guess. It's uh, kind of ironic that you know his match at WrestleMania wasn't reacted to as much because of Hogan, but that's pretty much the driving vehicle as to why we see Hogan as champion now. The match is what it is. It's a Hogan match, but it's going to be. Uh, I want to see what they do now as Hogan as champion. Like how long the run will be, how many matches it'll be, if he's going to even do matches during the week or just save them for pay per views. Because he is getting there. He's 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 an, he's an older man, and his body isn't what it used to be. And those leg drops, I'm sure they do uh, wonders to your spine and your tailbone. It's going to be a different Hogan as champion, definitely. Here we are again, Hogan as champion in 2002. Pete? Yeah, I think the outcome is is what it is and i think it was the right outcome so we'll, we'll get that we've already kind of covered that haven't we we know what the reasons why i know it obviously offends you dan and probably eventually probably offend me and in the end but you know we're not there yet um, yeah i want us all to maintain our friendship so i, I wasn't saying yeah, too much. yeah yeah we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be nice about it we'll be nice about it but i i felt a bit sorry for of her i feel sorry for triple h you know that he had the huge comeback you know that that Standing ovation on that rule was something to, to behold when he came back from the, the double quad and all this sort of business. And he, he, unlike The Rock, where on the night they kind of adjusted to what the fans were saying and The Rock played that part fantastically well, as did Hogan, of course. This is what caused him to turn back to the red and yellow. Triple H was kind of stuck here being the kind of a role where he's kind of he's the baby face but is he the heel and I don't think he, he eventually got to being kind of heel in this match but it took a while I think that caused a little bit of a it didn't come over anywhere near obviously like um the Rock and Hogan at WrestleMania in any way shape or form and nor was it ever going to of course and and obviously Hogan won this particular match but 
I just think it, Hogan, the longevity of him as champion is going to be interesting when he did the diamond cutter, which I think was, I've never ever seen him do that ever, um, which was probably quite incredible, really. And, and he did some leg drops, but that was about it. And Triple H had to really, really work hard. But did he have to work hard for 20, was it 22, 23 minutes this match? Again, you could take 10 minutes off. I mean, Hogan Warrior, how, how, how long was that match? Hogan Savage, was it, uh, these matches didn't go, because we mentioned Hogan matches. They have a certain style. He gets beaten down. He does the comeback. He wins the match. You can't get away with that in 2002. It's not going to happen. You know, that wouldn't work. But it looks like we kind of did that, but over 23 minutes where eventually we got a win. But we had to have Jericho involved and obviously then Taker. So is Jericho going to take on Hulk Hogan down the line, even though the Undertaker's number one contender? That's a bit of a confusing issue I suppose I'm not sure what happens next there uh, the fact that there was shenanigans I'll call it just goes back to the WCW main event scene of 1998 you can't have a clean finish with two of your inverted main eventers having a match where there's a clean finish unfortunately and I, it's, as you say it's very honourable of Hogan not to take the chair shot win but immediately hit the leg drop and take the pin after the chair shot so you know fair play to him but it was the right outcome it was just it was it was a Triple H show to show that he could probably could he squeeze out a plus twenty minute match out of Hulk Hogan and could Hulk Hogan still retain the crowd still retain the red and yellow I think he just about has achieved it and now he's got the title so that says it all it's what's going to come next I think and obviously next month will be very interesting what happens with Hogan and and Triple H obviously as well so. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was good to see him win the title. I'm not a massive fan of his of the music. I would have preferred to hear Real American proper pound out. I'm sure Davinda would have been the same. To really go back to your to your youth of of prime, you know, Hulkamania. But I guess he's a little bit cool with his feather boa these days, so we'll, we'll let him off. But yeah, I think it was the right result. Just I think it could have been again like the previous main event. Another 10 minutes less would have been fine. I'd have been happy. See, this is this is why I, I had to get you two on the show, because I feel like... <laughs> Hand-picked. I, I, I needed yeah, I was, to I was have... Like, he is so happy with, the, with, these, with these final thoughts. The, we needed some positivity. I'm normally the most positive person in this fraternity anyway, so I needed someone to be positive about this, this decision, because... I fucking hated it. And I'm not just saying that because of my well-known opinions of Terry Bollea, the man. I hated it from a match perspective because it was a 22-minute old man Hogan match, which I had a fucking enough of in WCW when he was red and yellow with boring Kevin Nash and boring Ric Flair and boring Sting and boring Kidman and boring Jarrett. And I got the same again with Triple H, who tried his best he was almost wrestling himself. But as you can probably tell from my notes, I was stunned when Hogan did anything. And it was clearly that he was in pain doing it. The guy is shot to pieces and he tried his best, but there's no way that this should have gone 22 minutes. This should have gone 12, 15 at most. And 
the the match with the rock at wrestlemania looks even better because of it looking at what we got from this instance because they tried to do different things in this match and it just did not work for me at all and then we come to the booking decision of making hollywood hulk hogan the world champion in 2002 so i could definitely get on board with the idea of they needed to capitalize on the insane reactions that he was getting at wrestlemania and the night after wrestlemania as well i had no problem with him being in the main event however nostalgia bubbles are very very short-term things they pop and when they pop they completely go there is no like residual goodwill and i think that the wwf could have easily made triple h retain here and we would still be in exactly the same position of, of hollywood hulk hogan having a thank you run on smackdown and feuding with Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho would have been my preferred option, or even doing a tag team and and him being the face of the tag division, for example, whilst we build up new teams. I I think that they've invested with Triple H versus The Undertaker as a as a main event program for a while now. Even with Royal Rumble, we had stare downs with them, and I just think it's uh, I, I do feel sorry for Triple H in this regard because he was being built up as the main top babyface with The Rock going part-time and Steve Austin kind of being, you know, tried to be phased into a into a more of an upper mid-card role. Triple H is meant to be the guy. And we've popped this momentum that he could have got because of nostalgia. And I honestly don't believe that the benefits that you may think that Hulk Hogan will give the WWF with this nostalgia run I think they're not going to happen at all because people will get bored just as they got bored with the red and yellow in WCW in mid-1999. And when they realize just how shot this guy's legs are, this guy's back is, they will realize that we need to get better wrestlers into the top of the card. And most importantly, the face of the WWF is the face of the past not the face of the present, Triple H, or the face of the future, Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, I don't know, Tajiri, Edge, all of these up-and-coming mid-carders who stole the show on the undercard. For over half a decade, the WWF beat WCW with the mantra, we're better than them because we have younger, fresher, and in the case of the main event, better wrestlers. Like You compare The Rock, Triple H, Mick Foley, Kurt Angle, and a brawling Steve Austin versus old man Hulk Hogan, old man Kevin Nash, old man Lex Luger, old man Sting, and you saw why droves of people left to watch the WWF. And WCW were coasting on the past. And that's why, in my opinion, was one of the big reasons why the WWF beat them convincingly in 1999, where they kept going back to nostalgia. Guess what? Now the WWF is pushing the same guy as their champion. And he's five years older than then. I'll leave it at that because I feel like I have need to save some hatred for Hulk Hogan for next month's pay-per-view when he faces The Undertaker, which was 11 years ago in the main event of WWF pay-per-views. So, yes. There's my yang moment to you two's yin. I hope you still like me.
<laughs> no, no, I do. And I, I, I admire that you have more Hogan hate for next month. I feel like you rationed it very well. <laughs> I don't think we entirely disagree with you, Dan, if we're really honest. But No, 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 no. That's, that's we, a we very don't. good point. Uh, it's, but, it's not a disagreeable thing. It's just no. I'm looking at it from a business perspective. I, you know, they see money and that's what a business should do. And yeah, but I totally agree with what you're saying. And on that note, um, overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Uh, we'll go to Pete first. Backlash 2002. Yeah, I thought this was pretty decent. Good, A good watch. Lots of entertainment. Uh, as you say, we've mentioned sort of the, the, a restart, a refresh. Um, I think it did a lot right. There was obviously some wrong, but I think every pay-per-view has got the same. There's no pay-per-view. There's a few, obviously, that have been absolutely stellar from start to finish, but they're quite rare. I think the opener was was fantastic, really got got things going really, really well. Um, I quite liked the um, fish match. I thought that was really good as well, and it, it, it made me want to, to, to plump for Trish moving forward. Brock Lesnar, well, he's coming out of this. Kurt Angle does what Kurt Angle does with Edge, match of the night. But the two biggest matches were the two biggest letdowns. I don't think we're that surprised by that, if I'm honest. So that's kind of where we are. I think this was above average pay-per-view. So I'm going to give it a six and a half. So a fairly decent effort, above above average. But I'll leave it at six and a half. Interesting. Devinda? So I calculated this um, and I was very, I had a whole whiteboard. I had a chemistry set and everything to try to set this up. So um, the two biggest matches, as Peter has said, uh, were the hardest to watch. So, you know, seeing that they both went an average of 25 minutes each, that's 50 minutes counting entrances. I'm going to give it an hour. So that's one third of the entire pay-per-view where we were just sitting on our hands, staring at the TV like, okay. So I I will reflect the score and say it's 6.5, maybe a little more, not reaching a seven though, but a good 6.5 only because of the, uh, the, the Hogan winning result saved that match a little bit because of the uh, reaction and because of the great moment that it provided. Everything else was awesome. Everything else was great. Sorry, I know I know how much you hated that moment, but great I'm going to say that it was a positive. It was a great moment. It was so <laughs> awesome. I was ripping my shirt, doing the poses. My girlfriend was looking at me, ready to leave me. But um, it was uh, it was overall it was a great night because a- as we've talked about throughout this entire episode of the podcast, they are leaning toward the nostalgia and trying to you know, like I said, squeeze some juice out of those lemons from 15 20 years ago but that's what they're doing in the main event level the entire undercard is just filled with crazy crazy talented people um a lot of great characters a lot of good stories uh the stories in the other matches were were great um even the story in the bradshaw and scott hall match was great just the execution wasn't right and like i like i said it was just you know how good scott hall is and it's just sad to see him like that. But overall, the night was good. Taker Austin went on too long. Hogan Triple H went on too long. 
Um, so those were like the rough parts to watch, but it was a great, great uh, time watching it leading up to those matches. Kidman and, and Tajiri, Trish and Jazz, Kurt and Edge, they were just all great, dude. They were good, good matches. I enjoyed watching this uh, as a whole. You know, picking it apart, yeah, there was some, was some rough, rough watches, but uh, 6.5 would be it for me. I'm interested to hear your score. Generally considered giving it a one at one point, given what happened. Just for the quality of the two matches that this company built the show around with his majority of its promotion. Like, regardless of whether you take my personal feelings towards the men involved out of the situation, both those matches are utterly shocking. One and a half star, two star matches at most. And when your big two sh- matches on this on a show are that bad and that boring, I don't think you can give this show more than a five at most. But as you said, the the undercard is 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 very good, great in Kurt Angle versus Edge. But as I've said, the two main events are that bad, and that went and went that long, and are that worrying from my perspective in terms of the direction of this company's going, where they are leaning too much on nostalgia, the past, and rehashing things that have been done better recently in the case of Austin and a long time ago in the case of Hulk Hogan. I'm going to give this show a three and a half out of ten. And that's being nice. That was more than what I thought you were going to score. Yeah, that was... That's quite a low. That's that's a very progressive score of you, sir. I feel like you're gritting your teeth even giving that score. <laughs> With that out of the way. Um, <laughs> no comment. This is great. <laughs> I needed you guys on so bad. <laughs> Let's review the final two episodes of SmackDown and Raw of the month. Uh, close out the first month of the brand split. Smackdown, again, we continue with the renaissance of the Cruiserweight and Tag Team Divisions with Billy Kidman, Al Snow and Maven taking on Tajiri and Billy and Chuck in a six-man. Generally, this match is about getting Billy Gunn, Chuck and Rico over as a slightly homosexual tag team, let's put it that way. Kidman gets the pin after a shooting star press. Backstage, Vince McMahon is meeting with and debuting Randy Orton, the son of Cowboy Bob Orton, and lets know he'll have a tryout match against Bob Holly later on, which is not good news for any youngster because we all know what Bob Holly is like in terms of the hazing department. Unfortunately, though, for Parker Holly, he is beaten by the uh, debuting Randy Orton with an Oklahoma roll, which is a bit of an unremarkable win, but, you know, debuting wrestler, third generations, could be the new rock. Or he could be completely new jobber. Who knows? It's good to see some more fresh talent exposed in the brand split. For a contest, Christian versus Mark Henry, another wrestler who they've been trying to rehabilitate 
since the brand split with feats of strength, in this case, bending a frying pan. Unfortunately for me, Christian is overpowered very convincingly by the world's strongest man and who is left exposed by a bear hug who wins the match due to Christian passing out. Side note, I despise the bear hug as a finishing move. There was no impact, no intensity, and it just looks like a rest hold. So no one pops for the finish. Not a good sign for the rehabilitation of Mark Henry. Next contest, Kurt Angle and a heel turned Albert, complete with chest hair fully exposed, and boy is it a sight to see, versus Edge and Rikishi. Uh, after about six minutes of action, Rikishi knocked Kurt Angle off the apron to allow Albert to deliver a bicycle kick and the boulder bomb on the big Samoan for the win. Good though, that tie team action from my perspective. Uh, Devon Dudley, who has been rechristened as a preaching testify reverend in one of my probably, again, another very good mid-card gimmick, is in the crowd passing around a collection basket, only for a fan to sneak up and steal it. Devon catches the fan and beats the fan up, saying that I shall not steal. The main event is Triple H versus Chris Jericho, who still have bad blood in a number one contenders match, with the winner facing Hulk Hogan on the first SmackDown of May. It's a pretty good match, 15 minutes. Again, probably still on par with the WrestleMania match, but because it's not being held after Rock Hogan, the crowd actually give it some time. The match ends with The Undertaker invading SmackDown and interfering in the match, allowing Chris Jericho to get the win in a surprising match. He will face Hulk Hogan next week on Raw. The two heels beat on Triple H to add on more punishment, but then Hulk Hogan waddles his way down to the ring once again and punches Taker to the back. Jericho, though, still stands up on strong and the show closes. Uh, Devinder, I'll go to you first. Uh, Smackdown has got its own roster and having its ability to grow as a show on its own after kind of just being Raw 2.0 for the last year and a half. Uh, any early indications of how you've felt Smackdown's been progressing in the first month? I see that they're definitely trying it with new characters of well, new characters or, or just new approaches to people that have been there the entire time. Um, so I, I, I like it because it's always good to, like you said, it's always good to see a fresh face. and It's uh, always exciting to see something new and, and see them actually invested in it, you know, week by week by week by week. And um, Reverend Devon is awesome. I love Reverend Devon. He is, he has shown that, that he has been a good promo this entire time and can speak very, very well. And um, the Mark Henry stuff is pretty cool to watch because he is the world's strongest man. And it's, it's, a, it's a rebirth of his character and a, and a refreshing approach to him and getting him endeared to the audience to get some support. Uh, I'm, li- I'm, liking, I'm liking the brand split. It's interesting to see who comes out of it on top and who comes out of it better than they were going in? Pete, any thoughts? Yeah, totally agree. I think it's a chance for people to shine, isn't it? I think, yeah, the Mark Henry character of, is it May Young giving birth to that hand, which will still probably haunt all of us for many, many years to come. Now he gets to actually lift cars and bend frying pans and do what actually probably Mark Henry should be doing, you know, you know, showcasing that 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 he's a really strong, a strong bloke. Now, does that mean he's going to have a, a stellar wrestling career? Who's to say? But at least he's got a chance to to reshine, get a bit of time back in front of the camera, 
unfortunately expensive your best mate Dan but I'm sure that'll that'll uh, get better for Christian as he goes along potentially we'll see um good to see new people so Randy Orton obviously we had Brock on on Raw dominate can Randy Orton be a plucky new baby face to, to appear in Smackdown that could be an interesting watch third generation we know how they love to to promote that as you say it could be the next what David Flair or it could be uh someone like The Rock or you know this 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 multi-generation star so hopefully that's something to look forward to I think the brand split's just given just so much more time to hopefully flesh out some storylines the invasion piece is quite good I think early doors because obviously Triple H stormed out and beat the absolute crap out of the Undertaker didn't he so it's good that Taker was able to invade the program and and give a bit back quite nice to see Jericho who's been proper you know hasn't had his rematch yet and now he finally gets a match at the title albeit and it links in with the finisher backlash so obviously he hit Hogan with the chair so he now gets to face Hogan and Taker and, and Triple H are now aligned so it does, that starts to fit and slot in quite well I think for me it's 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 been quite decent. I think it's just, as, as Davina said, let's just sit back and let this happen. See if they can write themselves some gems, not have too much crap going on. For God's sake, build a tag division, and then we're away. You know, you just reminded me of, of Mark Henry with the hand deal. And I think that's a good indication that this new character kind of made you forget about all that. Because mm-hmm. I, I totally forgot about little hand Henry. And thinking of doing the math now, I think Hand Henry has to be about three or four years old. So I yeah. think I think that the timing is good because school is going to start soon for the little guy and he needs some supplies. So it's good that Mark Henry's <laughs> back at work uh, to make sure he funds all of those, you know, school supplies for little Hand Henry in the upcoming school year. Brilliant. I totally agree with the both points that you guys made it it's it's really has been a a show which is fleshing out the mid card a lot better than i feel raw is doing we we've talked about reverend devon a, a hit with gimmicks i mean albert is getting a fresh heel turn and again he he's it's a different look and i think there definitely can be something in there with just the amount of hair this guy's got on it's a big hairy brute and there's nothing wrong with that in wrestling Billy and Chuck are the heading the tag division and had definitely have a unique gimmick. So we've always got the hurricane on there, which is always great. And if my hopes of a revived cruiserweight division are fulfilled, I think SmackDown's in a in a good place. I mean, even though they have Hulk Hogan there as a permanent member of the roster. But anyway, yeah, I think there's there's probably not as many like week to week storylines as Raw, but it, as I said, it, it's more about right now giving characters and gimmicks a little bit of an opportunity to breathe and some more hits as I'm hoping Devon Dudley's is becoming and some ultimately will miss which we haven't got to yet but there's bound to be something in there moving on to the last roar of the month we start with Eddie Guerrero defending the intercontinental title against Jeff Hardy the two have some good back and forth action for a few minutes before a whisper in the wind takes the referee down by mistake, allowing Eddie to get in a belt shot and a frog splash to attain the title. Stone Cold Steve Austin arrives and asks where that lying no good son of a bitch is. Production worker, Mr. McMahon isn't here tonight, sir. I don't mean that one. 
Austin comes straight down to the ring to call out Flair. Austin says he wants the Big Show, who in one of the biggest shocks in WWF history, turned heel and joined the NWO the night after Backlash. Who could have seen this coming? I was I was surprised. I'm sure you were, Devinder. I need I, someone <laughs> needs to get a count of how many times he's done this. It's been it's been three years since he's been in the company, and already I don't I honestly have lost track how many times he's been facing heel. I'm sure I'm sure he's done three turns in the space of three months this year. He started off as a heel, and then he was a face when he was like escorting Vince to the back as the draft pick, and now he's a heel again. And he was a face at the Survivor Series, so he's clearly done four turns. Yeah, but he's joined the dominant faction, though, Dan. Let's not forget. He goes yeah, where man. the money is. Can you imagine Chris White's face right now when he realizes that the NWO now has the big show and the washed-up Scott Hall in it? Oh, boy. Chris, if you need to There's help. There's a tag team division. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. Problem Boom. solved. That's it. Smashed it. As long as long as Nash can go two Outcome two matches without that. getting hurt, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Resurrect the six man tag. Come on. There you go. Oh boy, the poison is definitely becoming get is getting a very high dose of anti venom in you right now. <laughs> you called us. Remember, you asked us to be on. The- <laughs> <laughs> True story. Handpicked. Out comes Ric Flair, who apologizes and said the big show is in India tonight, so we'll get Austin and Bradshaw versus Scott Hall next part with Flair as a guest referee. Oh, God. I, I loved that explanation. That was a great explanation. Next up, RVD rematches Booker T again in three minutes, and this time beats him again. No difference there from the first night of Raw in April. Brock Lesnar once again looks impressive as he squashes Sean Stasiak in two minutes. Austin and Bradshaw defeat Hall and X-Pac, but Flair misses X-Pac's foot on the ropes this time. Undertaker is next out for a shockingly dull promo about the good old days when 11 years ago, Hogan and Taker were feuding and scaring little children away. Hogan comes out but doesn't say anything. Undertaker just keeps talking. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I thankfully Hogan shuts Undertaker up and punches him out to the floor to end this god awful promo. Oy. In a pretty cool moment, Jazz challenges Bubba Ray Dudley for the hardcore title. Unfortunately, the Fed still don't know how to book proper intergender wrestling, and we end up with utter shit for four minutes until Stevie Richards runs out and smashes Bubba in the head with a guitar to become the new hardcore champion. I probably will save my thoughts in this segment for the rundown at the end. Bradshaw and Austin are drinking beer in the back when Flair comes in. The Texans still aren't convinced Flair is honest. So next week, it's the NWO versus the three of them again in a taxi. Just in case we missed it the first time. (laughs) Why is this happening to me? (laughs) Uh, Spike Dudley defeats Goldust for the European title after interference by Booker T. The former had been trying to tag with Booker. Again, why aren't we doing this? Great for the tag division, Pete. But the latter is not a fan of this idea. Our main event 
was meant to be Hulk Hogan versus William Regal, but there's no match as after Hulk Hogan spits the tea that Regal had offered him, Undertaker comes down and beats Hogan down forever with Hogan unable to take a single pump in this entire post-match segment. Uh, yes, probably most people can understand my feelings on this uh, this angle, but Pete, any any thoughts on how Raw is progressing in the first month of the brand split? Yeah, I think you've kind of covered it a little bit that SmackDown seems to be newer, a bit fresher. Raw's has, has its moments. It's got its 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 talent, no doubt about that. I think the Booker T Gold Dust alignment could be interesting and there could be some entertainment to be had there because Booker T, my word, does that guy need something to happen and pretty goddamn fast because I feel like every show I've ever been on, Booker T is just, uh, just lost or is beaten or just looks horrendous. I think it's about time he had a an opportunity. After, after the, the beating he took from Austin all those months ago in that supermarket and obviously then in the ring, his his star just fell. So I'm hoping that maybe the tag team potentially could be a, a way of getting Booker T back out there again and doing some good stuff. Um, NWO, well, I think you said it all down. I'm not going to make you cry anymore. We've already cried the tears tonight. And Hogan the Undertaker, that is a bit worrying going into the, the, the pay-per-view that those two, it's going to be, I can imagine, blood, a brawl, punch, punch, brawl. Uh, that's going to be it, isn't it? And I'm probably just preempting the, the next uh, the next show ever's on that one, but that, that's, that's looking that way. So I can't say I'm that infused compared to coming out of Rock and Hogan into this month, you know, I think this month into into May is going to be a whole different kettle of fish. It'd be interesting if Jericho can get a decent match out of Hogan. That's I feel like Flair is so much more involved than McMahon at the moment. So it, it, it's almost going back all those years when Vince sort of took over Raw a little bit with the Austin feud that Flair's a little bit too involved right now and it's not letting other people have a chance. Whereas I think for some reason. Vince, I'm sure it will change, is just taking a little step back to allow things to develop a bit better. But, you know, again, let's just see what happens. There's lots of time to come. It's only just happened. I think we can't be too critical after the first month. There's some bits some wins and some losses. But, you know, overall, positive enough, I think. Devinder? You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. When Vince McMahon said that he was going to inject poison in the form of the NWO, the man was not lying. It was, it's just not what I, like I said, I didn't watch NWO during Monday Night Wars, so I was expecting something crazy. I was expecting something, you know, cool and what everybody was wearing the shirts for, and it's just not what it is. And in kayfabe reason, you can say that uh, the rest of Monday Night Raw is kind of shitty because Ric Flair is so obsessed with this NWO Austin thing that he's not even paying attention to the rest of the show he's putting on. Um, shining moments are, are uh, Brock Lesnar. He's going to be a focal point, a big focal point for the show and an attraction for the show, I feel, uh, in every sense of the word. Um it's it's just a total contrast of SmackDown. I feel like SmackDown is more involved with wrestling rather than big storylines. And as you guys were talking about Hogan, it made me think, um, you know, Rock and Hogan at, at WrestleMania was huge because of the fan reaction. But the match itself had a great formula that it can work anywhere. 
because The Rock knew about moments with minimal effort, not huge. You don't need to work like Savage and Steamboat to get that kind of reaction. Just that Rock knew how to work with a Hogan-like character with that kind of uh, work rate in the ring. Now when you move on to Triple H and now Undertaker, it's getting a little rough where Hogan is like saving his bumps for the pay-per-view. Like he won't even take a bump on a weekly TV show to try to further the storyline. It's it just makes me look forward to watching SmackDown. It's it's kind of rough. The mid card is is a little sporadic. And I see what they're doing. I totally get it. It's just the execution of it. I just see it better on SmackDown. Yeah, I'm definitely as you can probably tell, very disheartened with how television for Raw is at the minute. Just because the main focal points of your programming are based around acts which have I have barely any interest in and a guy who should be in a, such a better program than what he is being given. Taker and Hogan, they you've we've signed up for it, we've made a decision, this is the crap we're gonna get. But positive thing I can say about Hulk Hogan is at least he's trying. But my God, can you imagine what he would be like if he wasn't trying like he was in WCW three years ago? Jesus Christ. And Undertaker, again, the way he's performing at the minute is just not suited for Hulk Hogan. And what we've what we've been given so far this month has been pretty abhorrent. This could be on the levels of the Rooster Award. That's how worried I am about this feud. And Austin and the NWO are right now on the first thing on the ballot paper for the for the, work, the Rooster Award. We've had a third of the year go by now. And my God, what a letdown this this angle has been. You, The NWO are meant to be wrecking balls of chaos. That's what they're meant to be. They're meant to be cool and they're meant to be unpredictable. Every single week they are rolled in some form of tag match. How predictable is this? The one time they were good was when they beat up Kane to write him off. And now just make them do that. Make them do that and they'll be somewhat interesting. Who are they going to target next? But no, it's tag match after tag match involving Ric Flair. Whose side is he on? Is he just incompetent? Is he a malicious heel that's doing doing this all along? Who knows? But whatever it is, it's boring the hell out of people. And it's making people not want to see Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is a travesty. And the mid card is not as fleshed out as SmackDown. The characters aren't as interesting. There's no comedy mid carder in the same vein as Devon Dudley or Christian in that woods that brings the variety that I love about WF TV in say 2000. There's some shoots of greenery in there with Eddie Guerrero, as we've talked about, and dependable workers like Booker T and RVD. But I'm really really worried about Raw at the minute. The two main angles are just utter bollocks and lean too much on that 1998 WCW ethos, which ran that company out of business in the end of the, at the end of the day, which is not something that's going to happen to WWF because they're the only game in town. But if that's the sort of programming that we're going to be served, watch the ratings for SmackDown grow and the ratings for Raw absolutely crash. And with that, We've come to the end of our time machine journey to April 2002. Thank you so much for Devinda for joining me on this uh, counselling session as I talk my way through the pain of seeing this man become the WWF champion in 2002. Once again, I didn't have the level of hatred that I did for him 
20 years ago watching this as a little 11 year old but thank you for guiding me through once again having to relive the pain there are very few things i enjoy more than seeing a friend uncomfortable so anytime that you need me around you call me buddy <laughs> thank you Patinda. thank you very much for your contributions to this show as always i appreciate you thanks and pete kimber again you've had a lot of experience with hulk hogan so i'm glad that you found that enjoyable to see him have one last run with the belt but yes Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for this entertaining, <laughs> hopefully, show that, yeah, gives you an insight into how I feel about Hulk Hogan's The Man. Join us next month for what will be an interesting Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan title match at the next WWF pay-per-view, which may well be a game-changing pay-per-view for interesting reasons, as I'm sure We'll find out why next month. And we'll also be bringing you a special UK pay-per-view edition with Chris White uh, regaling us with his at-the-point memories. And hopefully he'll be able to run down the ball of what happened at Insurrection 2002 and certain plane journeys that may have happened before and after uh, that show as well, which might be a very interesting listen for people uh, who are familiar with that tale as well. But yes, thank you so much for listening to the April 2002 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter on the usual social channels. And please, as always, if you have time, leave us a rating and a review on Spotify, iTunes and wherever you may find your podcasts feeds coming through to your phone and listening devices or even laptops. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for listening through me ranting about Hulk Hogan. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>